0: Well, grab your Bibles. We're in the book of Jonah this morning. We'll be in the second chapter. And last week I mentioned, I I started out talking about big fish and I said, well, you know, what's the biggest fish you ever caught? And I was going to put up a picture of, of some of the big fish I caught, but my PowerPoint decided to go kaput. And and Bob didn't believe me when I said I caught big fish, so I had to put up the picture uh, today of some of those. So there you are, Bob Nelson, um, it, it, a little bigger than this. So I'm just, nah, just playing around. So, but we had uh, we had a good time last week talking about Jonah and what it means, and we're going to have a good t- you know a fun time going through this book. Uh, as we started talking about fish, we ended up talking about man. And there's an old truth that we need to be reminded of, that, that some things, uh, some new things that, that maybe we've never heard before as we go through this. But Jonah was a reluctant prophet. Jonah was a, a, a you know, he's very anxious uh, to prophesy to Israel, or, or well, let me rephrase that, he loved prophesying to Israel, because he was a good old boy. He gave good prophecy. The people listened to him. The king actually turned from his ways. And it was awesome. It was great because it was like, oh, man, give me a pat on the back. Things are going great and, and so forth. But when the Lord came to him and said, we want you to go to Nineveh, oh, wait a second. We talked about the, the problems with Nineveh last week and the reasons why he didn't want to go there. And we see that there's 48 verses in this, in this uh, book Uh, And only eight words of prophecy here. Jonah is a very short book, but we learn so much about him. It's unique in the scriptures because of that. Usually we get a lot of prophecy and we know little, you know, very little about people like Isaiah or Ezekiel and and other prophets. But Jonah, we know a lot about. Prophets. You'll find that many of them were reluctant and even showed fear as they were called you know, Moses and Isaiah, both were very hesitant, but willing to talk it over with the Lord, but Jonah does the opposite. Jonah just, Jonah just takes off. He just, he's supposed to be going one direction, and he goes the opposite direction, 2,000 miles away, and, or at least he tries to. He's like, I'm not going no matter what, no way, not to them. Uh-uh, no, Nope. And if you ever come across somebody with that attitude, you understand there's really no getting through their head. You know, it's like you got to circle back and come back to them and talk to them later because because they're being so stubborn at that moment. And I have two kids, so I understand a little bit about stubbornness. I was a kid, so I understand a little bit about stubbornness. Uh, my mom told me I would have made a good lawyer because I like to argue every little point. I do not understand where Brandon gets that from at all. You know but Jonah was a good news prophet and people liked him. Jonah was a man who was liked and and he hated the Ninevites. He had every good reason to hate these people. These people were brutal people. It would only be another generation and a half for them to swoop down, this group of people to swoop down and take most of Israel and take over uh, Israel. Then they treated those that they conquered brutally. And no doubt... (laughs) <clears throat> no doubt he had family members that had dealt with them before. And another thing, it would have been dangerous for him to travel going to Assyria. Think of a dangerous place to travel to right now that you were sitting there going, there's no way I would go to, to that place. That's kind of how Jonah uh, felt. About a million people lived there. We think no big deal, but that was a big deal. It took three days to travel across this city. It was 60 miles wide. The city wall itself was 100 foot high and 45 feet wide, enough that chariot races could be done across the top of the walls, if you can imagine that. You can imagine a little Hebrew prophet coming and going, God's going to destroy this place. What kind of reception would he receive? But beyond that, One more thing that he did not want to happen out of all this because he knows God and he knows about God's grace. He understood that that God had grace and mercy for people and these people that Jonah was supposed to be going to, he didn't want God giving them mercy or grace because he hated them and his reputation was on the line. The Israeli prophet that went to the enemy and gave God's grace. Jonah wanted to go in and say, God is done with you, and you will be destroyed. There's no wiggle room, but yet Jonah knew that God had something else planned here. He could just tell. He was a prophet of God. He had that relationship, and he was not going to go to Syria. So he very quickly decides to get on a boat and run from God. Why he thinks he can run from God I don't know why he thinks he can get that far away without God noticing. You know, it's not like God's going around going, hey, Archangel Michael, uh, do you know what happened to Jonah? He was, you know, it's God knows. What we discovered last week is, is if you want to run away from God, there's a price to pay, and Jonah pays that price. He pays for his ticket on the boat, Right there, he pays the price, but there's many other things. But if you want to pay the price, the devil will make sure that there's a ship waiting. And, we, you know, you can always run from God for a while, and God does not keep us on a leash, right? I mean, I, I know some people that it would be pretty good to keep them on a leash, you know? You're sitting there going, man, they're always out of control, you know? Somebody needs to to control them, you know? But God lets us go when when we want to run, and Satan will help out. He will have that boat waiting. So in chapter 1, we find Jonah running away to Joppa, and he pays his fare. He gets on a ship, and he falls asleep, the sleep of escape, the sleep of depression, depression. I just want to get to where I'm going. I just want to ignore everything that's going on in the world. And then there's this huge storm that comes up. And these big sailors, those that, are, that have been on the ocean all their lives, all of a sudden they're throwing their cargo overboard, their paycheck. They're grabbing their stuff that they're, I mean, they, if they don't deliver it, guess who pays? They pay. And then in the middle of this, they found Jonah asleep. What are you doing? Get up, call on your God. And, you know, we've called out to our multiple gods, and and guess what? He hasn't answered. He hasn't done anything because they're not really real gods. But you, you need to try your God. Maybe he'll end up, you know, stopping the storm. So they cast lots to see who had wronged their personal God, and it falls on Jonah. And, you know, and they're like, hey, this is your fault. You fix it. And he's like, well, yeah, it's my fault. And like, well, what did you do? Who are you? Where did you come from? He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God that created the land and the sea. And they're like, great, we got the right God. What should we do? He says, throw me overboard. But they didn't do that. They tried to, you know, they don't want to upset his God, so they try to turn around. But then two verses later, what do they do? They throw him overboard. How quickly the minds can change, you know? Oh, we don't want to throw you overboard. Boom, there you go. Okay. So Jonah knew that God was not going to make these guys pay for his sin, but they did have to go through part of the storm with him. He understood that if he just left them, things would get better. Uh, You know, and, and when you're out in the middle of the ocean, his rebellion is causing them to go through that same storm. So others have to go through the storm that we created. We talked about this last week. And this is exactly like our lives because our rebellion never just affects us, does it? It affects those family members around us. It affects the extended people. It affects the people we work with, the relationships that we have. And everyone around feels those effects. So as they throw him overboard, but Jonah was still kind of thinking, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'd rather die, you know, know, because... He believes that if he goes there, God's mercy will be there. Now, what happens? The seas calm down. The seas calm down. But Jonah would rather die than repent. Jonah's heart became hard on this subject. He was following the Lord, and then something happened, and then he decided, I am walking away. I'd rather die than repent. In verse 17 of chapter 1, it says... Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord provided a great fish. Another translation says, the Lord appointed a great fish. And I love this translation. I think it goes with the Hebrew really well, where the Lord says, you, you're the fish. I have an appointment for you. So he not only calls a prophet, he calls a fish. Kind of <laughs> interesting how that works. You're the fish, you're the one. Now, none of the translations use the word created. So the natural conclusion would be that this would be a type of fish that would still be around today. Not like, you know, we're looking at a little minnow or one of the little, you know, not like one of these fishes we're sitting there going, God just ballooned up into it. No, he called a real Fish. So look at what the Lord has done so far. In chapter 1, verse 1, he has provided his word. The Lord says. Chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord provided a great wind and a storm. One fifteen. after Jonah is overboard, the Lord provided a calm sea. And 1, verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish. Now, when I ask God to provide for me, I don't think of these type of things. Do you? No, I think of money, right? I think of of different things that will make my life easier because I like an easy life. Do you like an easy life? Yeah, we all want an easy life. We don't pray to God going, Lord, bring me a huge storm. I want to go through one. (laughs) No, that'd be ridiculous. Lord, take down my health because I really want to suffer. Yeah. Lord, I mean, like, you know, Beverly, she's here today, and we, we praise the Lord of that. She's going through a low dosage of, of chemo and stuff, and uh, you ask her, she's like, man, I, I'm tired. Lord, I want to go through chemo. No. No one thinks that because we want good things. When I think of provisions, I don't think of those storms. I don't think of a fish. Unless it's fish to put on my plate to eat when I'm up in Canada, you know? Lord, I want to catch the big fish. I want to show up them old guys, you know? Wait, did I say that out loud? I hope my uncle's not watching. So, yeah, he doesn't like it when I catch the bigger fish. So, anyway, but God's provision was just the same as food, water, and shelter for Jonah. Because God is giving Jonah grace and mercy in the belly of a fish, God is providing for Jonah in the middle of his disobedience. And this is the thing that I really, truly love about the Lord. The Lord does not stop providing for us when we stop obeying him. Think about that for a second. We disobey God. God still has certain provisions that he is watching out for. And he's not going to let us go down the deep despair without an out. There's a difference between God tolerating something and provision. Often I hear, God must want this. He's allowing me to do it. Well, that doesn't mean the Lord's blessing it. You know, sometimes with my kids, we pick our battles, right? Sometimes my wife, she picks her battles with me instead of, you know, going nitpicking every little thing. And praise the Lord, I'm blessed for that. God's the same way. Just because he allows something doesn't mean that he's blessing it. Often it's more of a tolerating it. See, the Lord does not stop loving us when we're rebelling. His provision may may even stink like the inside of a fish. But God is providing two things for Jonah right here. Grace and truth. You know, John says of Jesus, We beheld his glory He was full of grace and truth. You see, God is a balance of grace and truth, God is a balance of both. He's providing rescue at the same time he's giving discipline and the scripture says he disciplines those he loves and every parent, every teacher, every aunt, every uncle, everybody pretty much understands this concept of providing that, you know, that discipline to those that they love. It's not discipline for discipline's sake. It's discipline because you're doing something wrong and I want you to correct that because I love you so much because if I allowed you to keep going down that path, I know where it would take you. You know, we, we tell our kids, you can lie to us and you can get away with it. What? Did you really say that out loud? Well, yeah, that's reality because they learn that because they lie and they go, oh, Man, I pulled the wool over his eyes. He did, well, that, That's not a term that they would use, but you know what I'm saying. I, I just got away with that. We discipline those that we love. At the same time, he's disciplining him with his mercies. And guess what? God's mercies are new every morning. His discipline is not allowing Jonah to drown. For the next three days and three nights, Jonah is going to be rescued from his rebellion. And God is giving him time to think and time to change his mind until Jonah decides to repent. And this is what repentance is. Agreeing with God that you're headed in the wrong direction. That's what true repentance is. Some of us in this room not long ago were maybe headed in the wrong direction. And God said, do this. And we decided to go the other direction. And God in his mercy and grace provided some type of situation, some type of storm to say, I love you so much to not let you get away with it. But I'm going to take care of you. So change your mind. See, God pursued Jonah. The scriptures say the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And we agree that the Ninevites were lost. Wouldn't you say when you're, you're killing people and stacking up their skulls in front of the city to say, don't mess with us? That's the type of people they are? They were lost people. But at this point, Jonah was also lost, and God pursued Jonah. Anyone could have said the words, 40 more days and Nineveh would be destroyed, Right? God could have called anyone to go to the Ninevite city and to say those words. Do you think God needed Jonah to do it? I mean, if I was God, I would have said, fine, I'll find somebody else. Go to Spain, try to learn Spanish, okay? It's not going to happen. I would have given up on Jonah completely. But God never gives up on those he calls. And that's important for us to understand. God never gives up on you. No matter where you're at today, he has not given up on you. He knows right where you are at. He knows the ship that you're on. He knows the storm that you may be, on, uh, or may be in. Whether you're down at the bottom, of, you know, sleeping amongst the cargo, he knows where you are. And he is going to be faithful. See, we, we believe in a faithful God, and he's faithful to us. And this is what I truly love about him. There's times in my life when I've been rebellious or stubborn, and God should have picked somebody else. God should have said, Forget you, Alan, I'm done. But He didn't. He should have picked somebody, maybe it was some more, someone who was more willing or maybe more talented. And I cannot understand this about the Lord. He does not take the most talented people and use them, instead, He takes guys like Jonah are angry, who are rebellious, who are afraid. And we look at them and they, we say, that must not be a man of God. God. There's no way God could use them. And yet we see God pursuing them because he wants them to be used by him. And that is what is so cool. We look at Jonah and go, uh, Jonah and go, yep. I can relate to that. At some point in my life, I can relate to what Jonah was going through. We you know, you to see, some of us are like, you ought to see my problems or how I react or how I ran in my life. And God says, I'm going to put you in a fish and let you think. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to think. And then we get into chapter 2, which I thought, you know, you probably thought I'd never get there, but I'll get, I will. But I don't know, I don't think Jonah knew what was going on right at the very beginning. Seemed like the, the ship was, uh, was being broken up in the storm and Jonah just wants, he, he goes, I'm done, just throw me overboard and, and, you know, and he almost did drown. And then all of a sudden, something huge is coming along and, and he's getting tossed in the waves and it feels like something's eating him. Now, what do you think Jonah was thinking at this point? I mean, can you imagine that? I'm done for, I'm, you know. Or was it, I didn't think there would be this much light. I mean, I don't know. Could you imagine being swallowed by a fish? <laughs> no, we can't imagine that. But he's not, at the same time not being chewed up. And when it seemed like everything was over, all of a sudden, guess what? It's not over. Jonah was ready to face God's judgment at this point, and instead he received God's grace. There are times in our lives when we are very defensive about the sin that's in our life. And, and, and when confronted, man, we get defensive, very, you know, really defensive. But there's other times when we're very honest and we say, we screwed up. And we're like, okay, I just deserve God's judgment. Just come and judge me. And that's where Jonah was. Jonah's like, I'm ready to face the judgment. He wasn't going to go to Nineveh. He went overboard thinking about death, not knowing life was actually waiting and God is going to carry him through this rebellion. Has God ever carried you through a rebellion time? You know, I always I like to mention that, and I've said this several times. So some of you guys have been around. You're like, okay, you're going to tell the story again, but uh, but I I kind of like the the picture of this. You know, the footprints poem, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the poem where it says, I was walking by God, and all of a sudden, you know, there, there was two sets of footprints, and one went away. And, and, and I asked, where were you, God? And God was like, well, I was carrying you, you know, and all that. And it's, a, it's a beautiful poem, okay? A way overdone, you know, everybody loves it, but it's in everybody's homes, or at one point was, you know. But I like to change it a little bit. God, we were walking along, and there's two sets of footprints. Then all of a sudden, I see these drag marks through the sand. What was that, God? And God's going, that's where I had to drag you the direction I wanted you to go. You know, and we can all relate to that. That's what's going on with Jonah. It says here in verse 17, The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now you know skeptics have a heyday with verse one, you know, chapter one, verse 17. The same person that says, give me a break, a fish that big at this particular place, with no teeth, by the way, the skeptic, that same person believes in evolution, which is millions of coincidences in an ocean and land. So you have all these things that are happening, you know, in ocean land for, for, for the evolutionists to believe, but their skeptic doesn't believe in one timed event in the Bible. They'll believe in millions of well-timed events in evolution, but when the Bible has something to say, oh no, that's not scientific, I cannot believe that. The same evolutionists cannot believe a a, a fish can swallow a man, but they can believe that a fish can become a man. Go figure that one. But the fact that there's a fish there to swallow a man, they're like, oh no, these Bible thumpers, they're out of control. They can believe a man can design a submarine, but apparently God can't. So, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. The reality of this is that it's true, and I've studied a lot on the subject, and I'm hesitant to to share a few things because I don't want to confuse us, because the Bible says it happened, therefore, as a Christian, I believe what the Bible says. We have to remember that. I believe that there is a creator God who is active in this universe that can find you at a moment's notice who can take you and place you somewhere who can command you who can change you who can help you through circumstances who can become the god of your life that is who i believe in now did you know that there's other accounts of people being swallowed by fish interesting huh Did you know that you don't have to believe in Jonah to believe a man can be swallowed by a fish? In modern history, this has happened at least two times that it's been written about. There are two two modern animals that can do this, a sulfur-bottom well, and uh, here's a a picture of the tail at least. Sulfur-bottom well and a whale shark. One is a mammal and one is a fish. Take your pick. Neither one of these guys have teeth. And they open, they feed by opening their enormous mouths. Now, one time I was out snorkeling at night. Uh, We went on a snorkel trip and we got to see these, uh, um, not stingrays. um, I'm looking at my wife, manta rays. Manta rays can get like 25 feet across, okay? Okay. They're huge. The ones we were looking at were like 15, 18 feet across and we had lights up on top and we're just laying there on top of the water and these manta rays were coming within like a foot and a half of us as they were going flipping upside down just feeding on the little bitty plankton. What was interesting is the manta rays mouth was about this big. I could have just ducked down in the water at one certain point and been swallowed right up. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. But these wells, their mouths are huge and they open them up and they just filter through the water as they, they, uh, they feed. As they submerge their lower jaw, they put their upper uh, jaw right there at the water and they rush through very fast and they strain out and swallow. They strain out the water and swallow what's left. Now, a sulfur bottom well is 100 foot long. One was captured off of Cape Cod in 1933. His mouth was 12 foot wide. He could have swallowed me and my SUV. They actually have four to six stomachs. And a bunch of men could find free lodging in there. I mean, in the head of the well. It had a storage container that was seven foot wide by seven foot high by 14 foot long. I mean, I grew up in a room smaller than that. The heart is the size of a car. A child could slide down its main artery like a slide. If it has an unwelcome guest on board, remember his mouth is huge, okay? He swallows a lot, is known to swim to the nearest land and get rid of the offender, whatever is upsetting him. How does he get rid of it? He throws it up on shore. Now, there's another account by Parville, he's a French scientist, and he's not a believer, but he was an editor of the journal uh, Des Debats of Paris. I don't know how to pronounce that, I'm probably slaughtered it. But you know, he wrote about an article in Paris, but but that uh, wrote about a situation that happened in the Falkland items, uh, Islands in February 1891, and there's a story of James Bartley. And some people dispute this, but the time it was written about, uh, for 36 hours he was inside of a well, and how he got there is they were out fishing for wells, they were out killing wells, taking their you know the the blubber and all that kind of stuff, and the well oil and all that kind of stuff, and. They were out fishing for one, and they went to, <clears throat> went to attack this, uh, uh, this well and spirit and, and try, to, try to get it on board and all that kind of stuff. But the well actually broke apart their boat, and he fell in during this thing and was swallowed by the well. So they're like, oh, man, James, Jimmy, he's gone, you know? So later on, they actually capture this well... And and uh, and he came out of this well after 36 hours. They were they were you know going through and carving off all the blubber, all the stuff, and they slid open the stomach. And here he comes rolling out. 36 hours he in there. His skin was bleached by the gastric juices. He was blind the rest of his life. He died 18 years later, and his tombstone in Gloucester says James Bartley, a modern day Jonah. Now, another account happened in the English Channel where a man, a man was an exhibit in the London Museum in 1926. He had no hair. His skin was yellow and patches of brown and bleached. And it's all nice to have these stories because you're sitting there going, wow, this stuff actually could happen. And But the reason I wanted to, I wanted to bring them up, but I don't want to bring them up because I don't want the debate to be about whether it could happen because if we believe in a true God... And if God wrote it down and said it happened, guess what? We believe it happened, right? So we don't need the other side of the proof. It's just interesting facts. Well, now I've spent enough time on that. Let's—is uh, that really the time? Oh man. Okay, I got to hurry. Okay, uh, chapter two, verse one. For inside the well, inside the uh, the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, the God. I, I wonder. I wonder if it echoed for Jonah. You know. <laughs> I mean this this has got to be the the win the prize for the most bizarre location for a prayer meeting ever. You know, and there's some competition for this. You got Daniel in the lions' den, right? You have all sorts of guys. You got Paul, who was in prison as he was being beaten. And then you have the second place, I think, which would be the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, okay? But this one takes the cake. What an experience. Listen to what he writes. Verse two. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I mean, this was before the fish. He was drowning. You hurled me into the depths. Into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All the waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing, engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I mean, this is pretty, I mean, do you understand what he's going through here? To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, the Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit where my life was ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. What an experience this must have been. Jonah knew he was in trouble in the storm. Jonah knew What was going on? He knew it was his fault. And he was going to drown because of it. And as he's flying through the air... He got his last gulp of air as he falls into the cold, dark water, and he began to sink down, and he's calling out to the Lord. And all of a sudden, he is surrounded by slimy, wet, and hot, and he's sort of moving, but he doesn't understand it. He can't hold his breath any longer. He opens his mouth, and all of a sudden, he can breathe. I wonder what went through his head. Am I in hell? But wait, hell's supposed to be a hot, dry thing, right? Right? But this is humid. I don't understand that. But then he begins to to realize, you know, it's one of those things to say Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights for us mentally. But it's another thing to think about it. Being in pitch black with the gastric juices washing over our eyes and our skin, the burning and the smell and the slimy and the mucus that lines the stomach Maybe even trying to stand up and slipping. I mean, I I got boys. I could totally get into this. But, you know, maybe I don't need to. But the fish is going down and up, and you're sliding all over the place. But he has nothing to hold on to. I mean, did he grab the uvula? Okay, okay. Never mind. But in the middle of all this, he is in God's protection because he's not going to die. But what's interesting is Jonah doesn't know that. Maybe he thought this was his punishment. Have you ever been there? Okay, I guess God is using this to punish me. I've done enough wrong in my life. I'm getting what I deserve. I'm stuck inside this fish for the rest of my short life. And this is really unusual, bizarre location. Jonah reconnects with God. Look at what he says. Go back to verse 2. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He realizes that God has other plans. Verse 6, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah begins to pray. This prayer, this, you know, long before he starts to understand what God is going on, you know, what God is doing and what's going on and what's going to happen, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he's reconnecting with the Lord. It's been a long time since, he had been, you know, since he'd been obedient to the Lord, and he begins to worship, and worship comes out in the Psalms, and, and Jonah is singing inside the fish. If you read it, it's more of a song than a, than a prayer. Couldn't you imagine that? Do you know how well sing? My, my uh, nephew or Lisa's nephew is down uh, or in Maui right now and making me very jealous, but I'm not supposed to be jealous, right? But he's in Maui and he was out snorkeling and you can hear the wells in the background, you know, the noise from those. I wonder if he was connecting. I wonder if they started singing. It's kind of interesting. Just thought. I, I go down those rabbit holes, you know. Could imagine one whale looking at the other whale going, What's up with that today? Because your singing is a little off, you know. You search me. This reminds me of Psalms 139. You search me, Lord, and you know me. Where can I go? Where can I flee? You are there. God is everywhere. Look back at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. If you like to memorize Scripture, this is a great Scripture to memorize. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When you're clinging to worthless idols... Your arms aren't available to grab a hold of God's grace. We have to ask, Lord, what are the idols in my life? What do I spend so much time on that I'm missing out on grabbing a hold of your grace? Verse nine, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Look at what the prophet of God is saying here. Salvation is the Lord's decision. Lord, if you want to save the Ninevites, which I don't understand why you want to do that. I don't understand it at all. But if you want to, then I will do what you want. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land, which I think proves you can't keep a good man down. So I'm just throw that out there. But you know what's so cool? Jonah's time was not wasted. We think all oh, this is wasted time and all that, but, but Jonah's taxi is headed back to land where Jonah needed to go. That was his, his Uber. That was his you know, Lyft. The whole time he's repenting as he's headed back. God does not waste time. And Jonah's repenting. The fish is starting to have convulsions. And here comes Jonah right out of the fish, new hair, nice bleached skin, smelling great, just ready to go preaching for the Lord. Well, I have a couple of thoughts here. Jonah rediscovered God, rediscovered the Lord in a very unusual place. Sometimes it takes us getting to an unusual place that we would have never thought about going into for us to reconnect God and for God to get our attention. I think the first thing a person should do when they're having a hard time, maybe a storm or feel like you're being swallowed, is to say, Lord, why are you trying to get my attention? What's this all about, Lord? Because if you're trying to get my attention, you've got it now. What are you trying to say to me? Now, sometimes it's not like that way. We think, Man, what terrible sin I did. Wow, well, I must have done something really bad. Well, no, not necessarily, because sometimes life is just that way, because sin is in this world. Maybe you're caught up in somebody else's storm. So this is not geared toward, uh, you know, that wouldn't be geared toward God, but sometimes we have to ask, Lord, you've got my attention. What are you trying to say to me? So Jonah, you know, rediscovers the Lord in this very unusual place. And and we can also rediscover God during that you know during those times. Do you remember the astronauts when they first went to space, how odd they were? What were they doing? They're reading, you know, scripture verses. I mean talking about creation and a whole new experience. It drew them to God. We can, you know, those unusual places, we can be drawn to God. But Jonah's reaction was, I'm going to sacrifice to you. He was in a fish. What is Jonah going to sacrifice? It's not like he can, oh, let me get out my waterproof matches and start a little fire so I can do a sacrifice, right? He can only sacrifice himself. His will at this point. Sometimes we need to say, Lord, you are in charge. In Romans 12, and if you want to go you know, study more this week, because I'm pretty much out of, time, out of time here, but if you want to go further, in Romans 12 it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you, will be able to, uh, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given, uh, given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And according with the faith God has distributed to each of you For just as each of you has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then encourage. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Give your will, your strong willed type of living, over to the Lord. Sacrifice is the hardest thing there is. And the hardest thing there is to sacrifice is what? Yourself. It's easy to sacrifice other things, but yourself, it's very hard. And I think the other encouraging thing here is the, the story of Jonah reminds me of the hardest things that we can do in life is try to escape God's plan. I can make detours, but it's really hard to get out of God's will. You know, as I was young, I was always taught it's easy to get out of God's will. You know, we need to seek God's will. Don't miss out on God's will. Man, if you, if you miss God's will, you're out of luck. But God's will is like a ship. If I miss that exact ship, am I going to miss heaven forever? No. God's will, he provides. God's permissive will. God's acceptable will. This confusing seeking of, God, I don't want to miss out on your will, but the reality of Jonah's story is this. I'm not going to miss out on God's will I'm not going to because God is going to pursue me and drag me back if he has to. When I get out of God's will and become rebellious, he tracks me down. It's like I got a built-in GPS system that I can't get away from. It's like our government that can track us, right? I mean, we I got my phone here. God can, you know, I can be tracked anywhere with this thing. Well, God has built one built in right here in me. It's called the spirit. God says, Alan, I want you to do this. And God tells me what to do. But there's also another part here. And I'll end with this. What is our will? What is God's will for us in this life? Some of us, I mean, it's big things. I mean, take Paul in the Bible or take David. Was it everybody's uh, will during the time of David to become king? No, it was David's will, you know, it was God's will for David to become king. Not every male in Israel over a certain age. It was God's will for David. Not everybody becomes king. Most of the time, God's will for us is to live in a manner worthy of being called God's son. We need to be the best mom a follower of Christ can be. We need to be the best dad or brother or sister or whatever, you know, follower of Christ that we can be. We need to be the best coworker follower of Christ that we can be. We need to be the best boss that we can be if we follow God. We need to be the best employee. See, it's about who we are and how we act. Do we follow God or do we not follow God? See, it's all about God's glory ultimately. And you have a chance to show off God's glory in this life. And you can either do it in your good looking body or you can go down into the well and come out with patchy skin or no hair or or being yellow and being blind and then show God's glory. That's up to you. You can either go the easy path, which is not always so easy, of following God, or you can go the difficult path of being rebellious, and God has to track you down and discipline you along the way. That is part of our choice. That's part of the choice that God gives us. And we have a God that's graceful. He's filled with grace. He gives that to us. And we have a God that's filled with mercy who wants to give us that. And he will give it to us either in good times of us following him or rebellious times. And sometimes that mercy and grace comes in a big slimy fish that we weren't expecting to be in. What happens next? Well, you'll have to come back next week or you'll have to watch online next week. So why don't we pray? Why don't we stand and pray as Tyler comes up and finishes his last song, the worship team. Lord, as we, uh, some of us understand Jonah. Some of us feel like we've gone down into the slimy pit of despair. But we know that you are true God and we pray that you show us a way out of that despair. You show us the way that that we're supposed to live in this life. Whether it's a a huge uh, one-off thing that we're supposed to do in life that you're prepared us for, or whether it's just our everyday living and trying to be holy and righteous. I pray that you give us the strength to do that. When you need to discipline us, Lord, discipline us, but be gentle. Give us your grace and your mercy when you do that. May we feel your love. May we understand it. And may we come out to be better people on the other side of that and help others not go through that same storm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you in the middle of whatever you're going through. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.